0: Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacy Toth of RealEverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out.
1: And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantine of ThePaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health.
0: Welcome back to episode 452 of The Whole View. I. I have to, I have a confession. When Sarah told me that she wanted to do this show topic, I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't (laughs) want (laughs) to. You actually said, are you sure you want to open that can of worms? Yeah. (laughs) With the text. Oh, my God. God. I just, I think I, I think there were like three texts in a row. Like, are you sure? (laughs) So here's the thing is sometimes we say things on the show that aren't popular or that we I don't like (laughs) and that is the thing about facts is facts are facts science is science and how we feel about them or how we might have thought about them before might be different if we are open to hearing new information. Well, and that's what this episode is. This
1: is new information because the last, um, The last time we um, sort of talked about this, uh, you know, the summary was, uh, well, we don't have, you know, we don't have specific science on this, but here's related science and we can kind of infer that it would also apply here. Now we have actual science showing that's not the case. And I think that's fascinating. Like, I'm really excited to do a little, like... Woo, look at all the science from the last year that actually answers a question that didn't have a concrete answer before that we've all, you know, been operating on, I think, a informed assumption, but, you know, still an educated guess. And now, now we get to make choices based on evidence. And I think that's very exciting. I'm excited. Yeah,
0: that's how the text exchange went. you were like approximately you were like but it's science and it's exciting and it's new (laughs) I I was I don't think you understand
1: while I was reading the papers and I was like my mind was so blown by by the results that we're we're going to talk about today that I I was nerding out actively while I was texting you
0: yeah I don't think you quite understand the pot that you're about to stir but Let's get into it. And I also want to just remind people that science and information is nuanced. The information that we're going to share today, specifically on the topic of soaking and sprouting nuts, doesn't apply by logic to other things that we've talked about as soaking and sprouting. Mm -hmm. Of course, if information changes, we would share that with you. Um, But I don't want you to hear this show that is specific. And extrapolate it to other things. And I'm sure, Sarah, you'll get into the science of that. For sure. Bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All For right. sure. Let's
1: jump um, in then. So let me explain the origin of this podcast a little bit. Um, episode 413, we did a deep dive into the gut health benefits of nuts because that is really exciting research showing basically that nuts and seeds have some really um, exciting vitamins, minerals, fiber types, and phytonutrients that our gut bacteria love, and there's certain nuts, um, especially um, pistachios and um, walnuts um, and chestnuts and even almonds that are particularly well-studied and shown to be beneficial for the gut microbiome. We had approximately a metric ton of follow-up questions. I'm going to read Vanessa's, but Vanessa's question uh, was is a representative example of um, questions about, um, well, what about the autoimmune protocol, um, but also what about um, soaking and sprouting nuts? So let's let's read Vanessa's question and then we'll kind of get into um, all of this new science because um, what I did was check to see if any research had been done since the last time I'd looked at this and there was um, four new studies, which we'll also dive into. So Vanessa wrote... I'm interested in getting nuts and seeds back into my diet, but I'm wary due to my autoimmunity. I've read all the articles I can find on the subject on your website, even your dehydrator article, and ran a search, but there's no mention of soaking and dehydrating dehydrating nuts and seeds to break down the enzyme inhibitors that cause digestive issues. Some nuts do give me stomachache and bloating. I've experienced here and there with low FODMAP nuts and have also purchased activated nuts that have already been soaked and dehydrated. I seem to get on fine with the activated nuts, but if you don't mention this process in all your articles. Is this not something you advocate? Thanks, Vanessa. So I'm really excited to kind of get into this because, um, the reason why there's no articles about soaking and sprouting nuts on my website is that there hasn't been science to definitively answer that question until recently. Um, and actually, um, when I addressed this in the Paleo approach, which I wrote in 2013, was published in 2014, I actually very specifically called out that there was no no science um, confirming what we would expect um, that soaking and sprouting nuts would reduce the phytates, which is is the main um, problematic anti nutrient in nuts as we do have science that it shows that it um, decreases phytates as well as uh, other problematic lectins like agglutinins in legumes and even grains. So we kind of go, well, like, oh, look, those are all seeds of some kind. We would expect it to be the same. Um, But let me back up before we really dive into that part of the question and talk about um, sort of like health benefits of nuts, but why nuts aren't, AIP? Because I think that's part of Vanessa's question. She's following the autoimmune protocol and she's looking to reintroduce them. So nuts have been shown in a variety of studies that in moderation, so uh, something like 20 grams, which is just shy of an ounce per day, um, can substantially reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease, cancer, neuro- neurodegenerative disease, kidney disease, diabetes, infection risk, and mortality from respiratory disease. And they're big effects. So they're like 20 to 70% reductions. Um, there's been studies showing that three one-ounce servings of nuts per week uh, can reduce all-cause mortality, which is a general measurement of health and longevity, by 39%. Um, so there's some big, big impacts of benefits of nuts. And this is probably through its gut health benefits. It's probably through its nutrient density. So nuts can be a really good source of especially um, minerals, but also some vitamins that we might not all be getting enough of otherwise. Um, there's also, um, as I mentioned at the top, some really exciting phytonutrients. They're a really good source of the amino acid arginine, which is very important for gut health uh, particularly. Um, And they tend to have a pretty healthy fat profile. So generally nuts are richer in monounsaturated fats um, and their omega-6 content is, I mean, that's why probably an ounce uh, is uh, sort of the, the maximum amount. Studies show that There's a huge benefit to about an ounce a day, but that those benefits don't continue with higher increase of nuts. So um, as a matter of fact, you start to see almost like a U-shaped curve with nut consumption, where um, 20 grams to 28 grams, which is an ounce, is probably the sweet spot per day. And getting much, much more than about two ounces a day, we start to get into not just no longer getting benefits, but maybe the omega-6 content of the nuts starts to drive inflammation more than all of the beneficial compounds in nuts can reduce inflammation. So if nuts are so great, the natural next sort of question is like, why aren't they considered AIP? And the reason actually um, is not purely due to phytates. So nuts are a very rich source of phytates, uh, which uh, are an anti-nutrient that binds with minerals, makes them hard to digest, um, that can also act as a digestive enzyme inhibitor. And um, we have a lot of science showing that we want to moderate phytate consumption. So if we were just going based on that argument, it would be a good argument for limiting nuts, but not eliminating nuts. The reason why they're eliminated initially on the AIP during the elimination phase of the autoimmune protocol is that the um, food sensitivity rate to nuts and seeds is extremely high and that people with autoimmune disease seem to be even more likely to have a nut intolerance. So there have been studies showing that nut intolerance, which is separate from allergy, the allergy um, rate to tree nuts is about 1% of the total um, population. The intolerance rate, which means we're producing a different type of antibody, we're producing IgG antibodies against proteins in the nuts instead of IgE antibodies against proteins in the nuts. Studies have shown that that um, IgG-driven nut intolerance may affect anywhere between 20 and 50% of us. Um, And definitely people with inflammatory conditions and autoimmune disease in general are more likely to fall under that that umbrella. So there've been a variety of studies that have shown that um, people with autoimmune disease in general have more food intolerances than other people. So there was a 2018 study that showed that um, people with autoimmune disease, and it was a collection of about eight different autoimmune diseases that they produced uh, basically about 10 times more IgG antibodies against foods than healthy people. And studies that have looked at specific conditions and looked at the rate of IgG food intolerances um, have shown that um, autoimmune disease um, seems to be a big risk factor. There seems to be something going on. And it probably is related to um, gut health, right? So we know that there seems to be an almost causal relationship that either gut dysbiosis or leaky gut are prerequisites for autoimmune disease to develop. And of course, those also are um, necessary in the development of these types of food intolerances. So we can kind of see maybe that there's a common cause. So it's not necessarily that the nut intolerance is driving autoimmune disease, but they're both both related to the same gut health problems. So there's a 2015 study that was done in um, people with inflammatory bowel disease and basically showed that all of the nuts and seeds had a really substantial number of um, the patients have food intolerance. So for almonds, it was 16%. For pecans, it was 38%. For walnuts, 7%. Sunflower seed was 11%. And sesame seed was 7%. Compared to the healthy controls, where 0% of them had IgG antibodies against those nuts and seeds. Um, and this has been shown also in people with unexplained gastrointestinal symptoms, which is very common in autoimmune disease, maybe a symptom of undiagnosed autoimmune disease, Um, In that study, they had uh, cashew was the highest signal. So those people had, uh, 50% of them had IgG antibodies against cashew. They also tested Brazil nut, which was 23%, almond 28%, and walnut, which was 3%. Um, And similar, if you look at people with unexplained allergy symptoms, um, again, you see this really strong signal up to about 60% of those study participants had uh, intolerances, right, IgG antibodies against nuts and seeds. And so it's it's this is the science that the recommendation to eliminate nuts and seeds initially in the autoimmune protocol comes from. There's always another way to go about it, which we've talked about on the show before, which um, is to do a food sensitivity panel and only eliminate the nuts and seeds that show up as positives. But it's really important to keep in mind that... Um, Elimination and challenge is the gold standard for identifying food allergies and intolerances. And the tests at, you know, even the top quality tests have about a 10% false positive rate and a 30% false negative rate. So it could mean that, uh, especially with false negative, right, it shows that it's not an intolerance when it really is. Those are problematic on the Otterine Protocol. And it's why it's sort of simpler to eliminate them, uh, initially during the elimination phase, but because of their health benefits, nuts and seeds are phase one early reintroductions because if they are tolerated, they are a um, really wonderful addition to the diet in terms of the nutrients and the health benefits that they can provide.
0: I think it's interesting too how that kind of response changes over time, not just like with stress on autoimmune, but also like, my mom has developed this odd allergy to black walnuts as she's gotten older. Whereas like, it was one of her, nut, her go to nuts earlier, and not all walnuts, just black walnuts, you know, so I think the more we kind of pay attention to what's happening and how we feel. And even something like I know, for me, if I have you know, something that doesn't agree with me, like my skin will start to tingle like around my face and my mouth, like around the outside of my mouth. And that is like an early warning for me, I think of, you know, pay attention. And it's subtle. But if I don't eliminate those things, then your body's response and the type of allergic reaction you have can also build up over time. It's not like, Oh, let me just expose myself enough to this. If you're, if you are allergic and like, I'll get over it. That's not how that works. Right?
1: No. I mean, I, I will totally second that mouth tingling is a symptom that should be paid attention to during reintroductions. So I tried peanuts once cause I just wanted to know I wanted, I, you know, I'd eaten peanut butter a lot. I wasn't looking to incorporate them on a regular basis, but I wanted to know if they would be okay as a sometimes food and the way the my mouth tingled was so alarming that i was like oh like i i feel like this is a histamine driven reaction and i maybe have a peanut allergy and i have never tested them again um and that that is um i think that is a really important signal to to pay attention to actually is sort of mouth and lip tingling because that is sort of a pre anaphylactic type histamine symptom
0: Good to know. Okay, so now we've kind of established that piece of it. Um, And we know that nuts are good for us. Um, The ones that I enjoy eating, I very Mm -hmm. much enjoy eating. Um, And so I guess the question is, you know, what's, what's the best format then for once you are like, okay, this works for me, I'm going to go forward. Um, Or maybe you're feeling that tingle and you're like, "Oh, what if I soaked and sprouted this? Will that make it better?" I'm just see how I just like yeah. put that right it's, on a platter for you. It was like a professional segue. It was <laughs> excellent. It's embarrassing. Almost as bad <laughs> as your puns. <laughs> um,
1: I mean, come on. My puns are on a pedestal. Um, all right. So, um let's talk about why we would have thought that soaking and sprouting nuts would have been good. Um, So there's actually a lot of evidence, especially in legumes, but also in grains that soaking, sprouting and fermenting reduces agglutinins and phytates. And it's a big level of effect. Um, So it depends on the temperature, the soaking time, exactly which legume you're talking about. Um, So there's not a rule of thumb that like 12 hours is 50% and 24 hours is 90%. That doesn't exist, um, but there are a variety of studies that have compared different legumes, have compared different um, different soaking versus fermenting um, treatments, and what they all show is really substantial amounts. So, for example, uh, soaking pigeon peas for 6 to 18 hours reduces agglutinins by between 38% at 6 hours and 50% at 18 hours. Soaking kidney beans for 12 hours reduces agglutinins by almost 50%. Um, There was a study that looked at white beans, broad beans, lentils, chickpeas, and soybeans and showed that soaking for 12 hours, this one was very specifically at 78 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, reduced phytates by between 8 and 20%. Um, But another study showed that fermentation, which is a slightly longer procedure in in legumes, reduced phytates in kidney beans by 85 percent, in soybeans by 77 percent, and in mung beans by 69 percent. So all of those different treatments, right, they're all, right, the difference between soaking and sprouting is uh, time and you know, the amount of time in water versus the amount of time then in air in a sprouting jar. Um, A longer soak will turn into a fermentation. It doesn't necessarily need to have a culture added because it will ferment based on the natural um, cultures in the air and on the legume. Um, So a fermentation is basically a longer, warmer uh, soaking, and a sprouting is a shorter... Soaking that is followed by sitting you know moist in a, a sprouting jar. So I, so all of those things are variations of the same treatments, and it's a pretty high magnitude of effect. It's different for different legumes and different for different types of anti-nutrients that we're looking at, but they're all pretty impressive effects, right? So you know, we're basically seeing modal 50% type effects for a reasonable procedure that most of us would you know, not find super inconvenient to do in our homes. And so it's been assumed in um, sort of alternative health communities uh, broadly that nuts would be similar, even though there hasn't been scientific evidence to uh, even, even look at this until last year. And actually, when I wrote The Paleo Approach, I'm actually going to quote what I wrote. I said, it is commonly postulated that soaking nuts in salted water and then drying them improves digestibility, reduces enzyme inhibitor activity, and decreases phytates. This has not been documented in the scientific literature, but anecdotal accounts suggest that many people could tolerate nuts that have been soaked and dried, even if they do not tolerate raw or roasted nuts. Um, And that, again, you know, the reason why I've never written an article about This procedure is because there was no scientific evidence. We're all basically have been operating on this educated guess. If it's the same for legumes and for grains, surely nuts and seeds would be similar enough. But these four new studies have really shown that that's not the case. Um, So let's start with the most rigorous study. Um, that had the the most different kinds of nuts and different types of soaking conditions. Um, This was just published in July. And um, what they basically, you know, their whole goal was to test whether activating nuts, um, which is soaking either with or without salt, and then low temperature drying is is what an activated nut is. Um, So what they did was they had... Uh, They had almonds, walnuts, um, and hazelnuts. And then they measured the mineral content of the nuts and the phytate content of the nuts after a variety of different soaking conditions, four hours or 12 hours with or without salt. And they also did whole nuts versus chopped nuts. And what they showed was that the phytate concentration differences in all of those different soaking conditions were quite small, and they ranged from a 12% decrease to a 10% increase in phytates, which uh, is why I texted you with so much excitement, because um, even though it's not exciting to think that this um, hypothesis we've all been uh, operating under is actually false... Scientifically, that's a really interesting thing that soaking would actually increase the phytates. Um, so for example, almonds started with 531 milligrams per 100 grams of phytates. And after soaking for 12 hours with salt, phytates went up to 562 milligrams per 100 grams. If you only did a four-hour soak, the phytates was even more, it was up to 582 um, milligrams per 100 grams. Um, and it didn't matter. It was still went up even if you didn't have salt. So 12 hours with no salt, it still went up to 578 um, milligrams per 100 grams, which just to me is a, a fascinating <laughs> biological process. Um, It was very similar for other nuts, especially hazelnuts. Walnuts did decrease phytates, but it was about a 5% decrease. So they started at 523 milligrams per 100 grams. And sort of the best situation was 12 hours with salt. It went down to 501 um, milligrams per 100 grams. And then the other piece of this was that overall, soaking tended to leach out minerals from the nuts as well. So they ended up, uh, with not a very big difference and potentially a small increase in phytates, but also a small decrease in the minerals. So what the study actually showed was that the ratio of phytates to minerals didn't change, um, and that really um, that really shows that activating nuts did not improve nutrient bioavailability um, or reduce phytates, which, you know, potentially can act as a gut irritant. So calcium, uh, went down in almonds. Um, iron went down on almonds and zinc. Um, basically it went up a teeny tiny bit. It went from 2.94 milligrams per hundred grams in the best condition. It went up to 2.99, um, milligrams per hundred grams. Um, walnuts, uh, which had, The decrease in phytates had the biggest loss of minerals. Um, So they had calcium went from uh, 88 milligrams per 100 grams down to 77. Iron went from 2.72 down to 2.52. Zinc went from 2.93 down to 2.72. And then the other thing that was really interesting about this paper was there was no pattern. So certainly they showed that the mineral loss was greatest with chopped nuts, which makes sense to me, right? The surface area against the, the water is higher, Um, but there wasn't like a particular condition had the best uh, results in terms of minimizing phytates, and a particular condition had the best results in terms of preserving minerals. It was kind of all over the place. So there wasn't a, um, you couldn't say out of this paper, well, look, the differences are small, but if you always do 12 hours with salt, that's the best, you know, that's the best way to maximize the benefits of soaking. You can't, there's no, there's no conclusion like that to draw from this data because there were no patterns in terms of which soaking condition and which nut had
0: which effect, if that makes any sense. Yeah. What comes to my mind is what not to do with assumptions <laughs> or <laughs> why not make assumptions. And I yeah. think, um, You know, what we what we do know about nuts is, you know, the nutrient value that they have, but also that, you know, it is possible for them to go rancid, that they're a fresh food. Um, and so I'm wondering, um, completely throwing you a ball from left field, if there's anything in the scientific literature about the idea of how long to keep nuts, should they be refrigerated, like, does any of this stuff come into play either while we're talking about all of this and then also second question um what would happen if for example you're using cashews for what a lot of us use cashews for in um paleo type grain-free baked foods right you're or dairy-free um icings or whatever right like you're soaking the cashews in order Mm -hmm. to get them soft to make them pliable like is there is there information and recommendations on, on those personal and and the information that personally affects me? <laughs>
1: I, I totally have that information prepared. So uh, no worries on that. Um, no, in terms of uh, rancidity, right, that's a very different process than what these studies are looking at. So, um, you know, we do have to um, think about the shelf life of nuts, um, long term storage, it is definitely better to keep them in the freezer. Um, and, uh, rather than in, in the cabinet. So like that is a, but that is a whole different, that is oxide oxidation of fats. Um, and that comes from right. Nuts that have a higher polyunsaturated fat, uh, content like almonds can go rancid faster than nuts that have a higher monounsaturated fat content like cashews. So it's a little bit different from different nuts. Um, but like the general recommendation is no more than six months in the pantry, um, and I personally um, have moved to, you know, thinking about buying smaller packages of nuts that I don't go through very quickly, so that they're more like being used in two to three months if they're going to be in my pantry. Otherwise, moving them to the freezer for longer term storage. And then I typically, out of the freezer, I, I would typically roast them to to get that crisp back. Um, but that is a that is a very different biological process than what's happening here with um, phytates and, and mineral concentrations. So, um, I do definitely want to get to though, like what if the recipe requires like soaking cashews? Because, uh, I also like making homemade cashew cream cheese. And so, um, let's talk a little bit about, um, we're going to get there, but let's talk a little bit about, um, the gut, gut gastrointestinal symptoms with nuts. So I think it, it helps to first say, um, there was a 2019 paper that looked specifically at activating almonds and showed also about a five percent or less than five percent decrease in phytates in that particular study so there is um, some confirmation there in terms of um, you know really not um, having a huge effect on on the the phytate that was not as rigorous a study, but we definitely will still put a link in the show notes um, for everyone who's interested in going back to the original studies that I'm I'm talking about. There was a um, slightly older study that actually looked at uh, 2018. I mean, it's super old. It's um, so it's it's a couple years old now. Uh, it was December 2018, so it's only two years old. Um, but this study actually looked at um, how activating nuts could impact gastrointestinal symptoms. So what they did was a blinded uh, design. So participants didn't know if they were getting the activated nuts um, or the regular nuts. Um, and it was a crossover trial. So they spent um, uh, four weeks in in one one group and then four weeks in the other group. Um, and they had four different preparations of almonds each for, for 12 days. So they had whole, unsoaked, whole, soaked, sliced, unsoaked, and sliced, soaked. Um, So again, we're sort of looking at how uh, soaking may impact the phytates differently and the minerals differently when under basically a chopped nut condition where you've got more surface area um, contacting the the water during the soaking. And what they did was they actually looked at gastrointestinal symptom differences um, between all of those different conditions. And what they showed was that soaking under a blinded condition did not actually improve the gastrointestinal tolerance. Um, There was no difference in any of the measures that they looked at between all of the different nut conditions. Um, So, I mean, I think what this tells us is that when we find an activated nut that works for us, there's a couple of possibilities. Uh, one is it could be the type of nut, um, activated nuts tend to be organic. They tend to be fresher. Um, so it could be a rancidity issue. There are certainly plenty of examples of people in the autoimmune community who, uh, have, um, like vegetable oils, right? Oxidized fats as a symptom trigger. So it could be the nut quality It could also be the nut type. So maybe it's easier to get uh, activated walnuts and you're comparing that to consuming raw almonds. Um, And it could also be the uh, often activated nuts are um, dehydrated. Sometimes they're roasted. So sometimes you get sprouted nuts that are roasted as well. And generally uh, cooking of any food does improve digestibility. Um, so there's been a variety of studies basically showing that, um, cooking all different kinds of foods basically makes it more easy to digest and we can basically get more of the nutrients out of it, um, with our digestive system. So there's some other possibilities. And then the last possibility that I think is, is worth uh, mentioning is the placebo effect. And I, I want to be really clear that the placebo effect is a real effect. It is not the same as saying it's in your head. I used air quotes there. Um, It is an actual legit effect um, that when you think something is going to be beneficial for you, biologically, it actually is. Um, So it is, is not that, that, it's in your head that you don't have gastrointestinal symptoms. It's that there's something about the expectation uh, that actually creates a, a biological difference. And it may be mediated through something like the stress axis, or it might be much more complicated than that. Um, but that is another possibility as well.
0: I'm wondering too, if for me, for example, um, I know like when I'm on vacation, I, I, digest foods that I would normally have a more difficult time with um, at home more easily because there's less stress, right? And so Mm -hmm. if you tell yourself, I mean, I'm just kind of explaining an example, just one example of placebo would be, if you tell yourself, this is not going to bother me because it's soaked and sprouted, um, then therefore your body could be less stressed and more able to Digest it, for example, yep. right? Okay, one hundred percent. Making sure I'm understanding the process, um, and I, I do think that um, there's a lo- there's a lot of things like that, especially in the community, and we haven't really talked a lot about it. But I think that's you know part of the whole orthorexia discussion around these types of getting very finite into a short list of foods that you tell yourself you can or can't eat. And it's why we have a science based approach to the autoimmune protocol, and then ask you to reintroduce these foods in a monitored way to see how you feel. Because ideally, we're at a place where food does not stress us out. Like food is just the thing yeah. that is nourishing us and giving us energy and helping us feel good and is not something that is stressful. And so I think that's worth noting because if you've been eating your nuts soaked and sprouted and you're all stressed out now, like let that go. Taken, taking a deep breath <laughs> and then – Exhale all that stress because it doesn't matter. It's in the past and there's absolutely nothing that you can do about that. And so if you don't, if you want to try without or you want to try maybe just dehydrated, I, I like that idea, right? If I'm hearing you correctly, yep. that, you know, taking um, high quality Raw nuts and dehydrating them might improve your digestibility without increasing phytonutrients, both two thumbs up there, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but what are some other kind of things like we talked about making um making these alternative foods? Like I'm kind of wondering yeah. implementation wise, what does this look like?
1: So um, I think it's important to remember that what the research really is showing is not to bother soaking, right? But the differences in phytates and minerals is small. We're talking about most of these studies showing about a 5% difference in most conditions, up to about a 10% difference. So if a recipe requires soaking for making, you know, cashew yogurt, um, cashew cream cheese is one of uh, my family's favorite things. um, You know, there's not a good argument against soaking, except for this paper that was published just a couple of months ago, which tells us that uh, the soaking step is best performed probably in the refrigerator. So what this study actually did was look at the process of activating almonds. um, And they used, again, a sort of a bunch of different... (laughs) They actually investigated, they looked at um, blogs and videos for uh, the most common methodology that's recommended and then tested a variety of those like more common methodologies um, for like a sort of replicating like a homemade activation uh, protocol for nuts. And then um, what they actually did was look at how that environment uh, was in terms of how conducive it was for foodborne uh, pathogens. So basically giving yourself food poisoning by activating nuts. So they, you know, they do that, that type of study by inoculating with, you know, like <laughs> hemorrhagic E. coli, right, listeria, salmonella, like the bad things that um, are the subject of food recalls. Um, but what they're doing basically is they're testing the situation of, let's say there was a small amount contaminating your nuts and then you activate them at home. How does that foodborne pathogen grow in those conditions and what they basically showed was that the warmer your room temperature so they looked at um 15 18 and 23 degrees celsius The 18 is about 65 degrees fahrenheit Um, and they they looked at um then a lower temperature sort of dehydration 66 degrees celsius was their dehydration temperature afterwards and they looked at how that impacted the growth of their pathogens and basically saw that the warmer the warmer it was and the longer the soak the higher the pathogens and they they showed that um you know this is this is definitely a situation where um you know if if there was a small amount of a pathogen on the nuts like amount an amount that wouldn't make you sick if you just ate the nuts out of the bag But then you did this um, soaking and sprouting or uh, soaking and dehydrating step with your nuts that um, you're creating an environment where that pathogen will replicate itself and then be enough to potentially make you very, very sick. Um, So what they showed was that the the best condition was like a shorter time period and cooler than about 15 degrees Celsius, which is pretty, um, it's not too many people walking around with indoor temperatures, um, below 15. My interpretation of this is, um, when we're soaking for a recipe, um, there's no reason why we can't soak in the fridge. If, if we're, if we've let go of the idea that, that, um, soaking is going to reduce phytates, um, and improve the bioavailability of minerals, which these studies definitely show is not the case. Um, then we can we can go ahead and soak our cashews in the fridge um, for however long it is to get them soft enough for whatever recipe it is that we're doing, and um, and and go and go from there. So I think there isn't there isn't compelling reason to avoid uh, activated nuts except for maybe the almonds. The almonds had like the biggest difference, um, but definitely that it's not. It's not a good use of our time or resources to to do this step.
0: And it's. I just want to kind of like if I if I was gonna recap everything in a little nutshell. You're ha! welcome. So good. Uh, it. <laughs> like it's uncomfortable for me, um, <laughs> but I know how much you love it. I. My takeaway is I'm I'm buying small packages of nuts and I'm storing them. In the fridge or freezer if I'm not consuming them quickly, um, and uh, those nuts are ideally raw organic. I could dehydrate them myself if I want to make them more easily digested. And then if I'm going to be cooking with them and need them softened, that that soaking process would be in cool water. Don't start with hot water. And then it would be in the fridge. Just recapping for everybody. That's
1: an excellent recap.
0: Okay. The last question that I have for you is then about nut milks. So Mm -hmm. we have both store-bought and... Homemade that you can make yourself in a blender, which does sometimes heat up um, depending on what blender you're using and how old the little engine is and all that, right? Like sometimes you touch your old blender and you're like, Ooh, that's that was close. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also on machines, like, gosh, isn't there something called like almond cow? You know what I mean? Like where they – there are machines where – you put in your nuts and you put in water and then out comes your own nut milk at home that doesn't have like all the additives and stuff in it. So is is any of this extrapolated to those? So uh, <laughs> please don't take me my, let me let, just tell you please don't take my almond milk away.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm not, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Um so when we're talking about a commercial product, um those have testing uh, procedures as part of, you know, they have to do safety testing. They have to show that they're not going to, uh, give you food poisoning. Um, so I don't know, you know, for every different nut milk that's out there, what the temperature is of their conditions. Um, but it is something that, uh, so it turns out that companies aren't allowed to, uh, kill you with E. coli. Um, so that's, oh, that's what good. food recalls that's are, are for. Goodness. Right. I know. So it's, that's yay. Um, so in terms of, commercial nut products, um, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to get food poisoning if you do report it, because that means a recall is, is, uh, and probably a a factory <laughs> inspection is required. Um, in terms of making at home, like just because something warms up for a little while doesn't mean it's like automatically going to be full of bacteria. Um, so think about general, like food-safe guidelines, right, body temperature for about two hours is, is the sweet spot. Like um, if you had uh, something with mayonnaise in it, right, raw egg, that can be a, a source of salmonella, um, two hours on the counter is where you then throw it out. Um, so those types of same rules, right, five days in the fridge, all of those different rules come from studies of what conditions are conducive to growing um to, to growing pathogens. And so, you know, general, if anyone's, uh, I used to work in a, a commercial kitchen, I had to do my my food safe certification in order to do that. That's the Canadian version. I don't know if that's what the American version is called. Um, but uh, that's where, you know, a, a quick Google search, USDA has lots of different, you know, all of those different rules are are listed on the site of how long at room temperature versus how long warm before you you know, our best to throw something out. Um, so just think about those types of, of, um, guidelines when making homemade nut milks. So if it warms up for a little bit, no big, um,
0: put it back in the fridge. It'll cool down. It'll be awesome. I just want to thank you for not taking anything away from us today. Uh, but I just freed
1: up everyone's time is what I actually did. Right.
0: Educating and informing us, giving us time back—these are all good things. Maybe it's not quite the pot I was worried you were stirring. <laughs>
1: um, for me, I think the the most interesting part about this is to try to figure out why. Why would nuts? Um, and and to be fair, none of these studies have looked at seeds, um, so I I don't I don't know where sunflower seeds would fall on the spectrum if they would act more like legumes in sprouting, or if they'd act more like nuts in sprouting. But what I, um, one of the things that I did to try to wrap my head around, like, why would nuts be different, was actually sort of look at um, the botanical difference in terms of of what what we're eating versus what is actually the whole seed. So when we consume a legume, legumes grow in a pod that typically have multiple seeds. If you just uh, had, right, that uh, green bean plant in your garden and you didn't uh, harvest the green beans on time, the the bean would harden and then it would split open and the seeds inside would fall and then they would be in the, the dirt and they would eventually sprout with that environment. Um, when you want it to plant a nut, if you wanted to grow your own own walnut tree, by the way, walnut trees are a production. I read about it on WikiHow and decided never to plant my own walnut tree because it's like so much work. So nuts are different. So the the nuts typically have right. There's the part that we eat in the middle. That's the we think of as the nut. Then there's the hard outer shell. And then there's a husk typically around that hard outer shell and the way that you would get a nut to sprout is you would soak, like for for growing a walnut, you would soak uh, that nut. You would keep it in a moist, warm environment for like six months, and then um, the the nut on the inside starts to sprout, and the sprout pushes the shell open to split. So it actually sprouts before the shell opens. Um, and we'll put we'll put links into how to Plant a walnut tree from WikiHow because that's it's just it's epic. Um, it involves a cement mixer, it's like so much, so much, uh, or a step where you can run over them with your car. It's so much. I'm not, I'm not, this is not on my bucket list in any way. um But basically, when we look at nuts or even like not true nuts, right? Droops um, that are basically a nut with a more pulpy fruit around it, which a lot of what we uh, classify as tree nuts are actually droops. Um, they they grow differently than a legume does, right? A legume, the pod splits open, and then the seeds, the seeds are everything that that plant needs to grow itself. Whereas a nut, if you took off that hard outer shell and you tried to get uh, just the almond on the inside to sprout and grow, it's it's never going to happen. it It needs to be protected in that in that shell. Um, so it's not a full explanation as to why things are different. But to me, it sort of thinks about, it kind of answers that that uh, part of the question of when we're soaking nuts, it's not actually the whole seed. The whole seed includes that hard outer shell. Whereas when we're soaking legumes, it is the whole seed. And to me, that's that's likely part of why they behave differently under those similar soaking conditions.
0: I mean, I'm not surprised that leaving something wet for six months might be a problem like i'm thinking of mold and like mold you don't want that no but that is i am telling you that is how to make a baby
1: walnut tree out of a walnut
0: i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna hard pass and um you know move on it's so much so much okay i do want to give a shout out to our original nut sponsors not the show but um just because we love them and they're a georgia local for you georgia grinders Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that we are like i'm recognizing that they're great is because they're slow roasted right their their nuts are not sprouted they're slow roasted which would make them more digestible really cool. digestible and mm-hmm. not increase phytonutrients so shout out to our original nut sponsors george grinders we're we're still giving a two thumbs up on these guys and um i can tell you they are delicious so if you're looking I, for some
1: I, I I mean I just I just ordered uh a, maybe an, a large plural number of jars of <laughs> pecan butter <laughs> I was like I'm just gonna get the case and <laughs> <way we go." laughs>
0: yeah so if you're if you're wondering to yourself right now where do I go um, perhaps it's to georgiagrinders.com, completely unsponsored, unprompted, just me saying this stuff is delicious and would fit all the check marks in the boxes that we've defined here today. Um, Sarah, I am excited to hear what you really think about this topic over on Patreon mm-hmm. um, and what our, our little like side conversation was before we had this show. We'll be sharing all the details as well as whatever else comes top of mind. Um, We always share information and the behind the scenes and a little glimpse into our life over on our Patreon show, which you can pop over to. um, Just search patreon the whole view and it also gives you exclusive access to ask us questions that we answer in a timely manner sometimes here on the show you get bumped up on the list so make sure that if you love the show that not only are you leaving a review for us thank you so much but you're also (laughs) becoming part of our patreon fam thanks for listening and have a wonderful wonderful nutty day we'll be back next week Do you
1: love the Whole View podcast? We'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen and share a podcast
0: with your friends and family. And did you know that you can now get exclusive behind-the-scenes content on Patreon for less than the price of an almond milk matcha a month? Your Patreon membership supports us and gets you access to a monthly bonus episode. But
1: not for kids' ears, because our bonus content is explicit. You can find us as the whole view on Patreon for our real unfiltered thoughts on this week's episode.
0: <laughs> A nutty day. Love it. Oh my God. You're welcome. I gave you two puns this episode. I'm I'm so excited because I brought all the puns last week. So. I know. I was like trying to grab sound clips and I realized that there were like ones that you said to me that I missed. Like I was just like focused on the notes and there was <laughs> at one point you were like, shall we dive in? And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> 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 oh, man.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old.